Good morning. How you guys doing? Right on. All right. Well, I'm Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And this is week two. Love you too. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> oh, right on. So we're in week two of a series, within a series, our series on Ephesians. And last week, Ernie introduced Uncontrolled is the title of this mini-series. And the point of that is, is as much as we claim control over our lives, it's very easy to allow ourselves to be controlled by life. A life in Christ will not be controlled by anything outside of Christ. Now, I've heard it said that God is not content to allow his people to wallow in their own self-destruction. He's not content to let us just say we love him and sing the songs on Sunday, but still have these things that control our lives. These things, anger or lust or fear, anxiety. He just, he's not content to let us stay there. He wants something better for us. Like he doesn't only want us to be, spend eternity in heaven with him, but he wants us to be free from those things, to be able to walk with him and kind of live a life of heaven on earth by being free. And he's absolutely willing to help us with those things. Just let me warn you, it probably won't go down the way you expect becoming free. Just talking from experience. So maybe since Ernie's message last week where he introduced this, you've been praying, you recognize something in your life that controls you. And you've been praying about that thing, praying that God would help you, or that uh, analogy used about the wolves licking the, the knife with the blood on it. It's kind of gory, but it is probably the best analogy for sin that I've ever heard. And those things hit home, and we're like, Lord, I want to be free from those things. Maybe some of those things that... Uh, Ernie talks about you were just related to the, the futil- being in a fut- excuse me being in a futility of mind. That chart that he went over last week was awesome. Just being able to see that. So this week we're going to talk about something I know very little about, which is anger. And you all love what you think I'm joking. <laughs> so I actually know a lot, a lot about anger. The things that I'm going to talk about today, I've, I'm talking from experience. Or anger turned to bitterness, it turned to wrath, it turned to malice. Like, I've lived all those things. I've lived controlled by anger. So it was no mistake that Ernie asked me to talk about anger. At first, when I first he asked me about it, I was like, what did I do lately to make him think that I needed to be the one to talk about anger? I'm like, you try to stay pretty mellow most of the time, pretty even keel. do have my moments most often while I'm driving. But I've had times in my life where anger's just boiled over where just anger, wrath was just, just right at the surface and something silly happened and I just boiled over. Just because like anxiety, having depression and things like that, like it was mostly anger towards myself. It was self-hatred, a self-wrath that I held against myself. But when those times of things have boiled over, I've had times where I scared my family, which is awful. I think I'm a way better dad, way more patient, way more loving dad to my for my younger kids than I was to my older kids when they were their age. But I'm, so far, my older kids have turned out all right. Uh, when I was a teenager, early, late elementary school and in my early teens, I didn't know how to deal with my anger, but I had to like get it out. So I instigated fights. And it wasn't instigating fights between other people. I instigated fights between other kids and myself. It's really diabolical, and I actually... 
had forgotten that I used to do this until I was preparing for this message. And what I would do was I have a little brother who's four years younger than me. So little kids in the, or other kids in the neighborhood, I never did it to anybody younger than me. It was always somebody my age or older. But I had my little brother, I would tell him, like, hey, go punch that kid in the stomach or spill his soda or throw sand on him. So then when that kid responded as you would expect, I would jump up and throw down in defense of my brother. Very diabolical to do that. It's like the makings of a sociopath, right? So, but I would do that because I didn't know how to get rid of my, get rid of my anger. And I'd been bullied, so I didn't want to be seen as a bully, and I didn't want to get in trouble. So that's what I did to help with get my anger out. And my parents don't know I did that, but I'm pretty sure they're watching right now. So <laughs> mom, dad, I'm sorry. I found that my anger, not only does it scare people and make me do diabolical things, but it made me sloppy. Um, I, did, I trained in MMA like over 15 years ago, and I never fought in a cage, but I trained like I was going to. And there were times when I'd come in for training, and I'd just be mad. And my training partners literally told me, like, dude, you're sloppy when you're mad. You, you don't hit as hard. You're missing your blocks. Your combos aren't as sharp because it made me sloppy. And I think anger can make us sloppy in pretty much any area of our lives, right? And even yesterday, preparing for this message, I got mad. I have a nine-year-old Great Dane who's not firing on all cylinders anymore. And my, my man cave and gym is like right next to where my dog run is. And um, my Great Dane, his name is Jasper, was barking at nothing. So, and I don't know if you've heard a Great Dane or a really big dog bark, like it can shake the ground. So I start banging on the window, I'm yelling at him, like, dude, stop barking, be quiet. And he literally turns and looks at me and starts barking, looking at me through the window. So I'm like, dude. So I start banging on the window harder and like yelling at him. And I had this passing thought of how embarrassing it would be if I broke the window with my fist and cut my hand and then had to preach about that today. So I toned it down a little bit. <laughs> so James 1.20 says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Anger doesn't promote the things of God. Our anger promotes and protects our own desires, our own wants, our things that we want to control. And we got to be incredibly aware of what we do with our anger. So just to lay this out early, anger in itself is not a sin. It's just an emotion that God gave us. It's what we do with it that's a sin. It's how long we hold on to it that can become the sin. And it's a sign that our heart, and our, if we hold on to anger and have uncontrolled anger or bitterness or wrath or malice, it's, just, it's a sign that our hearts are not properly aligned with Christ. Now, the problem is there's no shortage of things to get angry about, right? Nobody's immune from it. I had a lot of people, when they asked what I was preaching about today, I said anger and like, oh, driving. Driving's a big one. It's like we're almost pre-set to be angry when we get ready to get in our cars, you know, those of you with kids, maybe you, some of you guys have experienced this. Your kid accidentally purchased an app on their phone that cost over $200. There's a little bit of anger there. Like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, we get angry when we can't sleep. 
At least I do. You know, sometimes there's a certain amount of anger involved in dealing with our coworkers, and we got to create boundaries. Wi-Fi slow, politics, not going to get into that. We forget an item at the store. Our kids are blank. Our spouse is blank, right? Actually, just looking around, there are a couple of people. The husbands looked down at the floor, and the wife looked at him. You know, there's also noble things that can cause anger. Injustice, injustice, unfairness, cheating, lack of transparency, incompetence, lying, stealing. There's victims out there that we get angry for that who can't protect themselves, who can't take care of themselves. And like I said, anger is just a sign there is something that needs to be dealt with, for good or for bad. You know, I think, I thought about Mother Teresa she saw the things happening in India, and it probably made her mad. The poverty and just how some people were treated like garbage while others were elevated. And she had a choice. Could she be mad and take on a political, use the Catholic Church's influence and money to take on a political system, a religious system, a cultural system? I think if she did that, we might not know her name today. But what she did instead is she saw a problem, got, got angry, saw a problem, and chose to help people. And in the Bible, even as early as Genesis, Genesis, Genesis 4, there's a guy named Cain who was angry because God rejected his offering. Now, Cain could have used that anger to figure out what he has to do to get back into alignment with God, but instead, he killed his brother, and he paid for that for the rest of his life. And there's, a, there's countless stories in the Bible that, that some people, people do the same thing. You guys or you know, probably know somebody or maybe even you yourself have acted out of anger and it's had implications for you and other people for the rest of your life. So I'm going to jump into the word in just a second. There's a lot here in this section of scripture. So I just want to challenge you guys, please go back and read it. Um, there's more things than just anger here. There's things that tell us what, it tells us things not to do. It tells us things that we should do. It's important to, we, to be aware of both. And also just check our work. Make sure we're in context. Make sure we're preaching about the right things. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you just that we have a book. We have something we can go to for truth. And I just thank you for that, Lord. I pray just that just things that control us that aren't of you, Lord. I pray we just not only recognize it, but we give it to you and let you have it and be in control of our lives. So Ephesians 4, 25 through 32 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as, as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor, 
and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So notice here, there's no mention of righteous anger. So if you thought that's what I was going to talk about today, it's not going to happen. I'm sorry. And actually, that would probably be an easier message to preach, is preach on righteous anger. Paul's not talking about Jesus getting angry in the temple at the money changers who were basically robbing people who were trying to fulfill their faith. He's not talking about David who got mad at Goliath for cursing God and told him off before he killed him. He's not talking about those things. And if I could be totally transparent with you, I don't know if I personally have ever had righteous anger. I've had times in my life where I've defended my faith or my family or people who couldn't defend themselves. But I feel like there was, oh, looking back, there's always a little part of me in there, a little part of me in there that was, so for me, I'm not saying it can't happen, but just for me, I don't think I've done that yet. So Paul is talking about those times when we get angry and we sin. When we said something out of anger and hurt somebody we knew or hurt somebody we didn't know, punch something that wasn't designed to be punched. Some of you guys might have firsthand experience with that. Anybody? Somebody raise their hand. Thank you. <laughs> somebody else. It's actually a miracle that I haven't broken my own hand in punching something. So does anybody know what the most reliable stud finder on the planet is? Anybody? It's the human fist. I've worked in the emergency department for a long, most of my career as a nurse, and uh, man, I've had countless times where guys come in with busted up hand. Most of the time it's guys. There's been some girls, including one of my coworkers at one time, which I gave her such a hard time about it. It was awesome. But like people, oh man, I didn't think there was a stud there. It's like, what happened, dude? Did the house literally move as soon as you brought your hand back? Yeah, yeah, I think it did. So, most reliable stud finder. <laughs> Maybe we've sinned where we beat somebody up. Given somebody the cold shoulder out of anger. Committed a crime. Didn't represent our faith well. We threatened someone. Got revenge on somebody who harmed us. Maybe you've harmed yourself out of self-anger. And I think one of the saddest moments of anger is when we harm or scare our kids when we're angry. And maybe we've been angry about something for so long that it's turned into bitterness, which is, a, which is excuse me, bitterness, which is resenting or being angry about a perceived wrong. Or there's wrath, that's strong and vengeful anger. Or malice, which is the desire to inflict an injury against someone. All those things are a byproduct of, like I said, in, if you were, when I read the scripture, of letting the sun go down on our anger. Remember, it's not the fact that we get angry that's our sin. It's what we do with it. And once we get to those places where we're just holding on to our anger, and we let the sun set, we go to bed angry, we wake up angry, it, we can get trapped in it. I'm talking from experience here. It can literally become a prison, a trap for us, that we, time goes on, and then we start thinking, oh, this is just 
me. It's just a part of who I am. And we have no just inkling of thinking that we can be free from it. We have those little things that are seemingly insignificant on the outside that cause us to boil over and we have to pick up the pieces afterwards. We have to do damage control because of our anger. And what comes out of us, our words, our actions, even our posture is evidence of what we're filled with. Anger can create a posture in our hearts and even in our bodies where we can't give or receive very much from God or for others. That's my youngest daughter. She doesn't look like she's willing to give or receive much in that picture. Mm, Little sassy pants, huh? I think the only thing she's willing to receive right there is a cookie. She didn't get one, though, I promise. <laughs> but there's, a, there's physical postures of anger that can make us unapproachable. Uh, my wife told me that my resting face when I'm at Walmart, I don't look very approachable. You know, maybe that guy that I thought was mean mugging me at Walmart was probably just responding to the way I looked, right? I remember when I was, I was like 17 or 18, and I was driving out of my neighborhood, and there was a car with a flat tire in front of me, and I didn't want him to get out on the main road. So I was like flashing my lights and waving and honking at him, and a guy with his family who, at the time, I was 17 or 18, I thought he was old, he's probably the same age that I am now. He jumps out of his car and starts walking towards me. And I was like, oh, shoot, this guy wants to beat me up. My like, hey, dude, you got a flat tire? And he's like, oh, okay. So I'm like, I got to get out of here. So I go drive by, and as I'm driving by, he's looking at the tire, and his wife's yelling at him. But there's that posture of anger, right? He wasn't willing to receive or give anything because he was mad. Nobody's going to do that to me. What's this punk kid think he's doing? You know, there's the fighting stance, right? When somebody's in this position, they're not willing to give or receive anything except for a beating, or they're just thinking they have to defend themselves because of how I looked at them at Walmart. You know, I think one of the most prominent gestures or postures of anger is a fist, right? I want you guys to do something with me. Make a fist. Okay. So make a fist. We get mad. We get angry. We let it go. We get angry. We make a fist. We let it go. We get angry. We make a fist. We don't let the sun go down on our anger. We let it go. So now make that fist and don't let it go. And then squeeze Tighter and tighter and tighter, as tight as you can. What happens? It's not just our hand that's tight. It moves up our forearm, our upper arm. For me, it goes into my shoulder, my back, and then comes across my chest, right over my heart. That's what anger does when it controls us. It takes over our hearts. So let's go back to Ephesians 4, 26 through 27. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Letting the sun go down on our anger, holding on to it, staying mad, gives opportunity to the devil. It's almost like, it's like we're, when we're angry and we hold on to it, we're living in our carnal nature. You know, we're living, in, we call it our lizard brain, the part that like gets us to breathe, makes our heart beat. We're living in there instead of the brain, part of our brain that we can control. 
We need to remain being led by the Spirit of Christ. We cannot let the sun go down on our anger. Anger, it may win the moment. I was going to use the word can, but I used the word may instead because can's an excuse. Well, it can happen. That can happen. Anger may win the moment, but it cannot win the day. It may win the circumstance. It may win the situation. It can't win. We can't let it win the day. And even though anger may win the moment, it doesn't have to. When we're led by the Spirit of Christ, we don't have to make a snarky response back to our spouse or our coworkers. We don't have to wave at people with our middle finger. We don't have to acknowledge those things that always upset us. And the truth is, chronic or ongoing anger creates a prison for our minds. We can't get out. We're stuck. We think it's normal for us. Or we use like Christian type excuses for our anger. Oh, that's just a thorn in my side. That's just, I can't. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I heard a story about Harry Houdini. You guys know who he is? One of the best illusionists and magicians of all time. And he would travel around the world and get invited to go to, to prisons to break out of them. And he would do this all over the world, and he got invited to this prison, 100-year-old prison in the South, that the locks on those doors, he probably had picked hundreds of times that same brand. And so there's a lot of fanfare, and it's noisy, and he confidently walks into the cell, and the warden's behind him, and Houdini probably pulls it shut himself. And the warden puts the keys in and makes the clicking sound. And then Houdini starts going to work. Gets in there, doing his thing, thinks the door's unlocked, pushes on it, still locked. Tries it again, still locked. You know, he, pictures that I've, some of the pictures I've seen of him, he'd show up wearing a suit and tie. So I imagine in this, whereas time goes on, he can't get out of the prison cell. Suit jacket comes off, the tie comes off, his shirt gets unbuttoned a little bit. It's untucked, might be sweating a little bit, keeps trying, can't get out of the cell, can't get out of the cell, can't get out of the cell. Finally, he just resets everything, gets back to where, to where he started, looks at the warden and says, you beat me, I can't get out. I failed. And the warden just slowly walks over to the cell door, grabs a hold of it, pulls it open. Houdini was locked in that cell only by his own mind. That's it. He had no notion that that cell was never locked. And that's what anger can do to us. As we get in that cell, we think we're stuck there. Or anything that controls us for that matter. We think they're stuck there and we think it's locked. Or we're pulling on it trying to get out and we're pulling the door in instead of pushing it open. No idea. And luckily, Jesus not only saves us from our sins, but he can save us from our own minds. Now, one of the smallest characters in all of the Gospels was a prisoner. Both in his own mind 
and also literally. It's important because it ends up in all four of the Gospels. And he was a prisoner in his mind before he was ever in a literal prison cell. Matthew 27 calls him a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. It says that he led an insurrection against Rome, who controlled Israel at that time. And he was a murderer. He got caught. And his anger towards Rome held him captive and controlled him long before he did those things that landed him in prison. And to set this story, this was right before Jesus. He was part of the story right before Jesus was crucified. And he was there with Jesus on death row. And during that time, Pilate, it was during the time of uh, the Passover, Pilate, who was the Roman leader at that time, would release one prisoner during that, during that time for the, for, the, for the Jews. And it was, up, it was either Jesus or it was Barabbas. And they had some things in common, Jesus and Barabbas. They were both prisoners, Barabbas because of his anger and what he did, and Jesus was there because of what he didn't do. Totally blameless. He was there for our sake. The other thing they had in common is they both wanted to change the world. Now, some translations of the Bible and old manuscripts and stuff translates Barabbas' name, Barabbas' name as Jesus Barabbas. And Jesus was a common name during that time. So Pilate, in front of all the, the Jews who were there, said, who shall I release to you? Jesus called Christ or Jesus Barabbas? Pilate was literally saying, choose your Jesus. Are you going to choose Barabbas, who did what he wanted out of anger? He was willing to do anything, whatever he had to do to, to see his ends met, to see what he wanted? Or are you going to choose Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, the one who presented God as a loving father, who performed miracle after miracle to help people? who healed the sick, who raised the dead, who calmed the storms, who fed the hungry, who preached how to love God and love people and to humble yourself and put others before yourself. Like who are, That question kind of echoes to us too. Are we gonna choose what we want? Are we gonna choose who, what we wanna do and the means to our own thing? Are we gonna be fueled by our own anger? Or are we gonna choose something better, something greater? the guy who can save us, who can save our marriage, who can heal us, who desires to reveal himself to us when we think we've got nothing. The Bible says that those in Pilate's court said, give us Barabbas, the criminal, the, the murderer, the guy who was ruled by his own anger, and in the same breath they said, crucify Jesus. And as this was going on, and I, and I read the story and stuff, I start thinking, like, I think Jesus and Barabbas could see each other. They may have been standing next to each other or across from each other. And I think when Pilate gave the word, gave the indication to release Barabbas, Barabbas looked at Jesus. Maybe he had a smug look on his face, like, all right, right on, these people love me. 
But what he saw looking back at him was Jesus had nothing but love. Nothing but love. And was absolutely willing to sacrifice himself even for a guy like Barabbas. And the thing is, we are Barabbas. We've done horrible things out of our own self-interest, horrible things out of our own anger. We deserve to be separated from, how, from God. But Jesus died for us to bridge that gap for us. And as sons and daughters of the king, he desires for us to live a life that is uncontrolled by things outside of him. And that includes anger. So for some of us today, I think it's time to stop asking God to help us with the things that control us, to help us with our anger. I think it's time maybe we, just, we ask God to rescue us from our anger. And he's faithful to do that. And with Christ's help, you can be uncontrolled by anger that has held you captive, that has held you in, a unlo in an unlocked cell for so long. Let's be free together, right now, today. John 8.36 says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed.